Chapter 22 of Good Stories for Great Birthdays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Good Stories for Great Birthdays by Francis Jenkins Olcott. July 24th, Simon Bolivar of Venezuela, The Liberator. Colombians, all your beauteous fatherland is now free. From the banks of the Orinoco River to the Peruvian Andes, the Army of Liberation, marching triumphantly, has covered all the territory of Colombia with its protecting arms. Colombians of the South, the blood of your brothers has redeemed you from the horrors of war. Bolivar. Bolivar. Build up a column to Bolivar, build it under a tropic star, build it high as his mounting fame, crown its head with his noble name. Let the letters tell like a light afar, this is the column of Bolivar. Raise the column to Bolivar, firm in peace and fierce in war. Shout forth his noble, noble name. Shout till his enemies die in shame. Shout till Colombia's woods awaken, like seas by a mighty tempest shaken. Till pity and praise and great disdain sound like an Indian hurricane. Shout as you shout in conquering war, while you build the column to Bolivar. Barry Cornwall condensed. Bolivar was born in Venezuela, July 24, 1783. Formed the Republic of Great Colombia, 1819. He died in exile, December 17, 1830. His full name was Simon José Antonio de la Santísima Trinidad de Bolivar y Palacios, but he was known as the citizen Simon Bolivar. Bolivar's name is pronounced Simon Bolivar. The old-fashioned English way was to pronounce it Boyevar, as in the poem above. The Precious Jewel Two boys were playing a royal game of tennis in the royal tennis court at Madrid in Spain. The rich American boy, Simon de Bolivar, from Venezuela, was serving swift ball after swift ball to Ferdinand, prince of the Asturias, and heir to the Spanish throne. The queen mother was looking on. The prince saw that he was losing and grew angry. Bolivar, small, alert, with dark eyes flashing, played on, still winning, until the prince refused to play any longer. But the queen mother sternly bade her son finish the game. So the prince had to play on, and he lost. Some day, exclaimed Bolivar in triumph, I will deprive Prince Ferdinand of the most precious jewel in his crown. Years before this tennis game, a great thing had happened in Venezuela. On July 24, 1783, a baby boy was born to a rich, noble citizen of the city of Caracas, a baby destined to deprive Prince Ferdinand of the most precious jewel in his crown. He was christened Simon José Antonio de la Santísima Trinidad de Bolivar, and, with his mother's name added as they do in Spanish America, E. Palacios, a long name for a baby. Little Bolivar had everything money could buy, and slaves to wait upon him whenever he called. Before he was ten years old, his father and mother died, and he was left heir to several large fortunes. He owned many hundreds of slaves and a rich plantation called San Mateo. He was a restless, adventurous, self-willed boy, small but very alert and bright. He did not like to study much, but he was always ready to sit and listen to his tutor, Rodriguez, whom he adored. 
his black eyes sparkled as his tutor told him of lands where people governed themselves sometimes rodriguez explained the meaning of equality fraternity and liberty and the little boy began to dream of liberty and independence for his own venezuela but bolivar did not spend all his time dreaming he was far too passionately fond of outdoor sports for that he fished swam and learned to shoot he joined the white militia of the valleys of aragua when he was sixteen his guardian sent him to spain there he went to school and lived with his uncle who was a favorite at court and there he beat the sulky prince ferdinand at tennis and there he met and loved a noble little spanish maid maria del toro just fifteen years old so bolivar forgot for a while his threat to deprive prince ferdinand of his most precious jewel bolivar and maria were married and went on their honeymoon to venezuela they reached the lovely plantation of san mateo where they lived and were very happy but alas in a few months the girl bride sickened and died of a fever then the passionate heart of young bolivar almost broke he vowed in his grief never to marry again soon after maria's death he went back to europe to try to forget his sorrow and travel and study in france he endeavored to drown his sad memories in gay living but he could not forget maria then he met rodriguez his old tutor who had been banished from venezuela this rodriguez was a strange rough fellow with many wild ideas and some good ones too from childhood bolivar had confided all his sorrows and joys to him and now as a young man he was led by his advice rodriguez saw that bolivar was wasted and consumptive he persuaded him to go on a walking trip knapsack on shoulder the two set off for their tramp in milan they saw napoleon crowned king of italy they visited many historical spots to which rodriguez took bolivar on purpose to arouse again his eager interest in equality fraternity and liberty together they climbed mount sacro in rome and there bolivar remembered his threat to deprive prince ferdinand of the most precious jewel in his crown he seized rodriguez's hand and swore a solemn oath to wrest venezuela from the crown of spain for venezuela in fact all spanish america was the vast treasure-house of spain the most precious jewel in her crown the fiery young patriot young bolivar returned to his estates in venezuela but he stayed there only for a little while he soon gave up the easy indulgent life of wealth to serve the patriot cause he was sent on a mission to england in london he met miranda the flaming son of liberty whose burning persuasive words blew into a flame the sparks of liberty which rodriguez had kindled in bolivar's bosom bolivar joined miranda's secret society he urged miranda to return at once to venezuela and strengthen the patriot cause and thus it came about that the flaming son of liberty went back to his native land and was made commander-in-chief of the venezuelan forces then it was that the struggle for venezuela's independence began to make spain tremble for the most precious jewel in her crown how the fiery young bolivar betrayed general miranda has already been told in the end of the romance on page three hundred and forty four after which bolivar fled into exile and spain confiscated his estates but bolivar never gave up his determination to free venezuela and when opportunity offered he returned and became the head of the patriot army it is not possible here to tell of all which he and his valiant troops accomplished they fought against the spanish forces they suffered defeats and they won victories english irish 
scotch and american men were volunteers in bolivar's army and many of them fighting bravely shed their blood for venezuela's freedom it was a terrific war nowhere else in all spanish america was there waged a more ferocious campaign the wake of the spanish generals monteverde and boves was strewn with the corpses of innocent non-combatants and with the ruins of pillaged towns and burned villages it is war to the death exclaimed bolivar fiercely in answer to these atrocities and war to the death it was on both sides a war of ruthless retaliation on prisoners and neutrals so the struggle went on all the sufferings that accompany warfare were the portion of the miserable people ruined homes weeping wives and mothers sick and dying children crippled men starvation disease and sorrow-stricken hearts seeing bolivar high adventure and spicy dangers were awaiting the first corps of hot-headed young englishmen who volunteered to fight for venezuela they shipped from england and after thrilling escapes on the coast of spanish florida and among the west indies after many feasts of venison wild turkey turtle parrots tree oysters and lizard they reached venezuela there higher adventures and spicier dangers were waiting they were convoyed by brig and launches up the swift river orinoco they were marched through tropic forests and across llanos or plains to join bolivar as their boats were rowed through the deep water or poled through the shallows of the orinoco they saw most wonderful sights lining the banks the giant mangrove trees shooting their gnarled banyan-like roots into the water were linked together by living chains of vines festooned with brilliant flowers as big as saucers or tea-plates herds of red monkeys with little ones clinking to their shoulders chattered howled and leaped from tree to tree following the boats along pink flamingos gigantic cranes pelicans and spoonbills were wading about fishing overhead flocks of red blue green and yellow parrots and macaws flashed to and fro filling the air with screams while the metallic note of the bell-bird sounded now close to the air and now far away from island to island in the river glided evil-looking light-green snakes lifting their heads and parted their bodies out of the water and under the roots of trees and in a stream vast man-eating alligators watching for their prey only their eyes and nostrils showing above the water and waiting to drop upon the young englishmen if their boats came too near were venomous snakes glittering like jewels coiled on the mangrove limbs or hanging from the branches like shining tinsel ribbons mosquitoes too were lively piercing through the young men's blankets and cloaks so thirsty were the insects for a taste of fresh red english blood and the young men were forced to keep a careful lookout at night for fear of a visit from a python jaguar alligator or electric eel when the sun set night instantly fell like a black curtain for there is no twilight in the tropics then the howling of wild beasts made the place hideous finally after passing indian villages and towns pillaged and burned by the spanish soldiers after water trip and march the young englishman caught up with bolivar on a plain near the apure river 
the young man had long been eager to see that remarkable general whose extraordinary energy and perseverance had already liberated a large portion of venezuela and it was a picturesque scene that now burst on their sight a band of tropic warriors in a tropic setting bolivar was surrounded by his officers many of them mounted a magnificent wild-looking band they were in shirts of brilliant colors worn over white drawers which reached below the knee bright bandanas were tied about their heads to keep off the sun over these handkerchiefs were set wide sombreros or hats made of split palm leaves decorated with plumes of variegated feathers one of the officers wore a silver helmet instead of a sombrero and another had on a cask of beaten gold some had silver scabbards and heavy silver ornaments on their bridles almost all wore huge silver or brass spurs fastened to their bare feet as soon as they saw the young englishmen approaching these wild-looking chiefs spurred their horses forward uttering shrill shouts of welcome they embraced the young men like long-absent friends and examined their weapons and uniforms bolivar reining in his horse stood looking on in silence he was a small man with a thin and careworn face which had upon it an expression of patient endurance he appeared refined and elegant although simply dressed he wore a dragoon's helmet his uniform was a blue jacket with red cuffs and gilt sugar-loaf buttons coarse blue trousers and sandals of split aloe fibre as the young man came up he returned their salute with a peculiar melancholy smile and then rode on he carried in his hand a lance from which fluttered a small black banner embroidered with a white skull and crossbones and the motto death or liberty when they halted for the night the young men were presented to bolivar as he sat in his hammock under the trees he expressed great joy at seeing englishmen in his army who might train and discipline his troops after asking questions about the condition of affairs in europe he dismissed them in the charge of his officers these gave the young men lances and fine horses thus the english lads became a part of bolivar's army they and their countrymen forming the english legion performed such brave deeds and made such gallant charges on the battlefields that without them bolivar could not so soon have won venezuela's independence retold from the account by one of the young englishmen uncle paez the lion of the apure paez was one of bolivar's most daring and picturesque generals it would take a whole book to tell of his romantic adventures and how he was exiled and came to live in new york there is a painting of him and his dashing cowboys in the municipal building of the city of new york at first he was a llanero or cowboy of the plains he was of mighty strength and was a magnificent horseman he knew well how to use the llanero's lance with all its cunning tricks his men were cowboys horsemen and fighters by instinct they followed him into battle with wild llanero shouts uncle paez they called him when bolivar with his troops reached the apure river he could not cross for there were no boats a few canoes were drawn up on the opposite bank guarded by six enemy gunboats as bolivar paced up and down impatiently he exclaimed have i no brave man near me who can take those gunboats they shall be yours in an hour said paez coolly who was standing by impossible said bolivar leave that to me said paez and off he galloped he soon returned with a body of cowboys picked for their bravery 
to the water, lads, he cried, which is what he always said when they went swimming. The men immediately unsaddled their horses, stripped themselves to their drawers, hung their swords about their necks, and stood ready. Let those follow uncle who please, cried Paez, and urged his horse into the river. The men rode in after him straight toward the gunboats. When the Spanish saw the dreaded cowboys approaching, who never gave quarter, they fired hurriedly and missed. Then seized with panic, some cast themselves into the water, and others escaped in canoes. Only one prisoner was taken, a woman who fired the last gun at the cowboys, but who could not stop them from boarding the gunboats. Thus Bolivar gained possession of the region on both sides of the Apure. Paez is sometimes called the Lion of the Apure. Angostura, February 15, 1819 down the upper Orinoco River, Bolivar's canoe was slipping quietly past wide savannas, palm-tufted isles, and overhanging trees. While reclining in the boat, he dictated to his secretary. During the heat of the day, they both landed, and Bolivar, lolling in a hammock under the shadow of the giant trees, one hand playing with the lapel of his coat and a forefinger on his upper lip, kept on dictating as the mood seized him. He was composing a new constitution for the Republic of Venezuela, which was to be presented at the Congress meeting in the city of Angostura on the Orinoco. And it was the adoption of this constitution that made Angostura famous. Today, the town is called the City of Bolivar. And while the Congress was meeting, Bolivar and his chief officers held a council of war, sitting on the bleached skulls of cattle slaughtered for army food. They discussed the dangerous plan of crossing the Andes into New Granada and of helping the patriots there to drive out the Spanish army. They decided to attempt the crossing, and what that terrible march was like, one of the young Englishmen who went with Bolivar will tell in our next story. The Crossing This crossing of the Andes was terrible. The hardships which Bolivar's troops endured are indescribable. At that time of year, the plains were flooded. The infantry were obliged to march for hours together up to their middle in water. Sometimes the men fell into holes or stuck fast in the marshes. Many of the soldiers were bitten in their legs and thighs by little goldfish, brilliant orange in color and exceedingly voracious. Whole swarms of these little fish came rushing through the water with their mouths open, showing their broad, sharp teeth like shark's teeth. Wherever they bit, they tore away a piece of flesh. They attacked the poor men most savagely. As the troops approached the mountains, the cold winds began to be felt blowing down from the snowy ridges or the cordilleras. Soon, violent mountain torrents swept across the army's path, and the men on horseback were forced to carry across stream all the arms and baggage of the foot soldiers. Even Bolivar himself rode again and again through the rushing current, carrying over sick and weak soldiers, and even women who had followed their husbands. As the trail began to ascend, the horses used to the level plain could scarcely keep their footing on the rocky way, and began to flag and fall lame. The snowy peaks of the Andes were now seen to stretch like an impassable barrier between Venezuela and New Granada. The narrow paths wound their way up among wild crags and through ancient forests that clothed the mountainsides with trees so vast and thick that the light of day was almost excluded. At that high altitude, the trees caught and held the passing clouds in their branches. From the clouds distilled an almost incessant rain, making the steep trails slippery and dangerous. The few tired mules that had not perished on the line of march patiently clambered on. Now and then, one would slip 
and go plunging over a precipice. Its fall could be traced by the crashing of shrubs and trees until its mangled body rolled into a foaming stream far below. Although the army was drenched by rain night and day, it did not experience severe cold until it emerged from the forest into the bleak, unsheltered passes between the mountain peaks. Then the piercing cold bit through the soldiers' thin garments. Many who had worn shoes when they left the plains were now barefooted. Even some of the officers were in rags, so that they were glad to wrap themselves in blankets. The view of the Andes at this great height was wildly magnificent. Incessant gusts of wind swept the passes and whirled the snow in drifts from the summits of the ridges. The whole range appeared to be encrusted with ice, cracked in many places, from which cascades of water were constantly rushing. Huge pinnacles of granite overhung the passes, apparently tottering and about to fall. There was no longer any beaten path. The ground was rocky and broken. Terrific chasms yawned on every hand, appalling to the sight. A sense of great loneliness seized the men. Dead silence prevailed except for the scream of the condor or the noise of distant waterfalls. The air was so rarefied that many of the soldiers, overcome by drowsiness, lay down and died. But at last the crest of the Andes was passed, and the army began to descend on the other side into the valleys of New Granada. The descent was not so difficult because the mountainside was less rugged than the side they had ascended. As soon as the army reached the lowlands, Bolivar lost no time in preparing for battle. With his men, he took his stand at the bridge of Boyaca. Never was there a more complete victory. The whole of the Spanish army, with baggage, powder, and military stores, fell into the hands of Bolivar. The Battle of Boyaca liberated New Granada from Spain forever. Then Venezuela and New Granada united and became the Republic of Colombia, or Great Colombia. Retold from the account of a soldier who accompanied Bolivar. Peru next. Now was Bolivar at the height of his power. He had liberated Venezuela and New Granada. He had founded the Great Republic of Colombia and had given it a constitution. He was practically dictator of the republic. He had sent his favorite general, the heroic Antonio de Sucre, to liberate Quito. Bolivar now turned his eyes toward Peru. In his ambition, he dreamed of a greater Colombia, which should include that country. But there was an obstacle in his way. Peru had already declared her independence. The foundations of her liberty had been laid by another general and another army, for José de San Martín of Argentina was Peru's acknowledged protector. Then came the amazing meeting, as told on page 272. After that meeting, Bolivar, with his army, entered Peru. He combined his forces with those of the liberating army of Peru, and with the aid of the valiant Sucre, completed what San Martin had so well begun, and swept away the last vestiges of Spanish power from South America. So the great struggle for independence, which had lasted over twenty years, was finished. But Bolivar was not allowed to enjoy long the fruits of his victories. We shall see why. The Break Exiled from Venezuela, consumptive, well-nigh penniless, insulted by his own people, was Bolivar only a few years later. The creation of his genius, the great Colombia, was rent with revolutions. His own General Paez had abandoned him. His friend Antonio Sucre had been assassinated. Bitterness filled Bolivar's soul. His pride was broken, but he still loved Colombia. His dying words to her people were, Colombians, 
My last wishes are for the happiness of my native land. If my death helps to check the growth of factions and to consolidate the Union, I shall rest tranquilly in the tomb. So passed away the liberator of Venezuela, the founder of the Republic of Colombia. Twelve years later, Paez, who was ruling in Venezuela, brought Bolivar's body to Caracas and interred it with honors. But he left the hero's heart in an urn in the Cathedral of Santa Marta, the city where he had died. Great Colombia, or the Great Republic of Colombia, founded by Bolivar, was a union consisting of Venezuela, New Granada, and Ecuador. Great Colombia fell. Its union was dissolved. Today, instead, there exist three independent republics. Venezuela, Colombia, and Ecuador. As for Bolivia, it was a part of Upper Peru. It was liberated by the help of Antonio Sucre. It declared its independence and took the name of Bolivar. Today, it is the Republic of Bolivia, rich in all the natural products of the world. Bolivar the Man 1. Simón de Bolivar was about 5 feet 6 inches in height, lean of limb and body. His cheekbones stood out prominently in an oval-shaped face, which tapered sharply towards the chin. His countenance was vivacious, but his skin was furrowed with wrinkles and tanned by exposure to a tropical sun. The curly black hair that once covered Bolivar's head in luxuriant profusion began to turn white about 1821. Thenceforth, he was accustomed to wearing his hair short. His nose was long and aquiline. Flexible, sensual lips were often shaded by a thick mustache, while whiskers covered a part of his face. In 1822, Bolivar's large, black, penetrating eyes, with the glance of an eagle, were losing their remarkable brilliancy. At that time, Bolivar had also lost some of the animation, energy, and extraordinary agility which had distinguished him in youth and early manhood. Even the casual observer judged him to be many years older than he really was, so sick and weary did he appear. A man of many moods, jovial, talkative, taciturn, gloomy, he changed swiftly from sunshine to storm. William Spence Robertson, Condensed 2. Simon de Bolivar has been characterized as the Napoleon of the South American Revolution writes William Spence Robertson, who has been decorated with Bolivar's Order of the Liberators. Defeat left Bolivar undismayed, said O'Leary, who served for a time as an aide-de-camp of the Liberator. Always great, he was greatest in adversity. His enemies had a saying that, when vanquished, Bolivar is more terrible than when he conquers. There is one point on which all are agreed, writes F. Lorraine Peter, the generosity of Bolivar his carelessness of money, and his financial uprightness. Few men ever had greater opportunities of enriching themselves. Still, fewer more honestly refused to take advantage of their opportunities. He commenced life as a rich man. He died almost a pauper. The figure of the worn-out liberator, suffering in mind and body, deserted by all but a few, reviled by the majority of those who owed everything to him, is one of the most pathetic in history. End of chapter 22. Recording by Natasha Fisher at officiantthesea.me.